This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, March the 2nd, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Stephen Scott recaps this year's Mobile World Conference in Barcelona. And Don Dickinson has a preview of McLean's Magazine with an article about J.J. Levine's photography series, Queer Portraits. Before you get any of that, here is the regional news update. British Columbia's prosecution service will not be laying any charges following a probe into the money laundering of millions of dollars that moved through BC casinos and Chinese bank accounts. Nicole Reese has the story. The investigation, dubbed E-Nationalize, launched in 2016 by the Joint Illegal Gaming Investigations Team. They identified 10 transactions between February and May 2017 in which about $20 million in bulk cash, bank drafts and casino chips were received and moved to clients, and more than $7 million was deposited to bank accounts in China. This is the second largest money laundering investigation in BC that has failed to yield charges. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press. And over to Ontario, a new report says Ontario has enough land to build more than two, build more than two million homes by 2031 without developing the Greenbelt. The report was released by Environmental Defence earlier this week. Former Waterloo Director of Community Planning Kevin Eby authored the report. The province has determined that if developers have more land available, they'll build more homes faster and cheaper. EB notes, however, there is no basis in reality for that idea. The progressive conservative government set a goal of building 1.5 million new homes across Ontario and used that target to issue regulations to remove 7,400 acres of protected greenbelt land to open it for housing. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, RCMP say Nova Scotians lost $3.6 million to scams in 2022. This is a record high. The Mounties say that most of the money was lost to investment, romance, and prize scams. Police are warning Nova Scotians to resist giving out personal or financial information to unknown callers, texters, or emailers. And uh, I'm just going to editorialize for a moment. It's not just Nova Scotians who need to be warned about that. Everybody should be mindful of giving away your personal information to unknown callers, texters, or emailers. With that said, here's Brock Richardson with a sports chat. Brock, at this point, the NHL trade deadline push push notifications coming across my phone are draining the battery my, my battery's gonna have nothing <laughs> left because of so many notifications coming through another flurry of trades coming across yeah. the wire yesterday let's begin with the ottawa senators who took perhaps the last big trade piece off the board by acquiring jacob chikrin from the arizona coyotes thus ending two years of speculation on when chikrin was going to be traded yeah, and um, again, this is not helping tomorrow's uh, deadline coverage, but it has helped us tell you about trades 
all week. I, I like this acquisition. I think it's uh, it's a good one. It helped Ottawa build into the right direction as they have done. I like Shesterkin's game. I think it's going to be a real good fit in Ottawa uh, moving forward, which is good. But again, it's kind of that last big trade piece on the trade bait board. Brock, I've been wrong about a lot of things in the world of sports. That's just the way it'd be. I'm opinionated and oftentimes I'm wrong. But do you remember way, way, way back in October, you and I were discussing our expectations and goals for NHL teams? Yes. Do you remember what I said about the Ottawa Senators? That they would be hopefully contending for a playoff spot? I specifically said that the date to look for for the Ottawa Senators was March the 15th. Their goal was to be in a playoff race and playing meaningful hockey on March the 15th. Here we sit on March the 2nd. They're only four points out of a playoff spot right now. They're not far out, and they just made a trade to really bolster their defense. Jacob Chikrin is maybe not a number one or number two defenseman. Anybody who gets traded at the deadline typically is a little bit overrated, but this is a player that helps them start to chase teams who are wavering like the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Washington Capitals have already waved the white flag. That was something else I was wrong about. I thought Washington was a shoe in for the playoffs. Way wrong on that one. Mm. But but in a, in a situation where the East has gotten very clumped up for those last couple playoff spots, to me, Brock, this is the kind of trade where the Sens have said, we are going to be playing meaningful hockey for the next four weeks. Yep. And listen, if you are in a situation in Ottawa and you look at the, the situation at the beginning of the season, you know, and you say, well, this is going to be a disaster. It's not a disaster. And I think... Uh, Sens fan have a have a lot to look forward to in the next four weeks, and the fact that there might actually be some, you know, more butts in the seats than anticipated, mm-hmm. and also they have more to look forward to in the future. And I think this is a huge um, stepping stone, let's say, in into making this um, a better team in in the coming years. And all of this is all building into you know the future. Because the more meaningful hockey you can play down the stretch, the more experience you build Mm -hmm. when it becomes go time, like really go time, and, you know, you're going to be a contender. I I don't necessarily think they're a a contending, contending team, but, hey, they're in the mix, and if they could squeak in on the wild card, hey, why not? I I would always welcome extra Canadian teams in uh, the playoffs because, let's be frank, that's what we're going to talk about is – how the Canadian teams are doing with a dabble of how the American team is <laughs> doing, of course. But that's our focus, you know? So yeah. the more Canadian teams we can talk about, the better it is for us. So the flip side of this, Brock, is the Detroit Red Wings, who a week ago, it seemed as though they were going to be playing meaningful hockey for the next month. They then proceeded to get absolutely pounded across three games, once by the Tampa Bay Lightning and twice by the Ottawa Senators. And just about 13 minutes ago... Detroit decided, you know what, we're a seller and traded their forward, Tyler Bertuzzi, to the Boston Bruins, who've decided, no, 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 we just want to set every NHL record with wins and points this year. Yeah, the Boston Bruins, I said it, you know, we're talking about history of what we said in the past. I told you that Boston Bruins is going to be my Eastern Conference representative, and I still believe that. Boston has got it in all ways. They've added... Uh, they've just become this deep team that I don't want to play if if I was in the NHL, and they're just going to be good. And I truly believe that they're going to be the Eastern Conference representative 
when we get to that point. Boston is so good, even their goalies are scoring goals now, as Linus Allmark <laughs> did over the weekend. That's how easy it is for the Boston Bruins right now. Yeah, that that's a huge, huge move. And that was one of the other big pieces on the TSN trade board. So that's gone now, too. You're right, Brock. Tomorrow's going to be a tough day for those analysts at the desk. So, Brock, one last thought here. I mentioned the name the Pittsburgh Penguins. Another team I want to bring up is the Calgary Flames. These are two teams that currently find themselves a little bit in no man's land. Pittsburgh clinging to a playoff spot, Calgary a few points out of a playoff spot. It really seems now with all the big names moved, Brock, those two teams are at inflection points, which is who do we want to be this year? Do we want to try and get into the playoffs? What is that worth? And Brock, I'd say for me, those are the two teams that I'm looking at over the course of the next uh, 36 hours or so to see what they do between now and the deadline. Yeah, and I just want to piggyback to your point about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has been in this middle ground, it seems, uh, for for a number of years, and they're kind of there, kind of not, and you just kind of don't know what to make of it. And I, I don't know that management is telling us what we're supposed to make of it because they are just seemingly okay with doing what they're doing. So I'm with you on that. I, I think that uh, if you're if you're Pittsburgh, um, this is kind of one of those periods where it's like, okay, what do we do? As for Calgary, I think it's really a disappointing uh, time for Calgary. Mm-hmm. I think they expected Calgary to be in a playoff spot. Forget on the outside looking in. I think if you're looking at these two teams, the more of a disappointment for me, if I'm looking at it as an objective person, is Calgary because I expected them to be a lot better than they are. Brock, a trade that was finalized just as you and I were saying goodbye to each other yesterday was the trade of defensemen from Columbus Gabrikov and their goaltender Eunice Corposalo to the Los Angeles Kings in exchange for Jonathan Quick and some other uh, some other pieces. Uh, Jonathan Quick over to Columbus may not ever suit up for that team, may not ever play another NHL game. That 2005 Goldie class, Carey Price, Jonathan Quick, Ben Bishop, man, it feels like a whole era is coming to an end. Yeah, I mean, I love Jonas Corposalo. I I think, you know, he he's been a, a really interesting goalie to watch over the time, and I think he's a talent. And so it'll be interesting to see what sort of happens uh, as as he um, moves to LA. But Jonathan Quick, I don't know. I it's you know he had that you know the the couple of really good years, oh, and, oh. and then all of a sudden it was like mm, slid off the you know the the train track and we just haven't seen the same but it's very interesting that all in the same draft class you're kind of like this is this is a weird draft class from the fall of 2011 through to about the spring of 2015 jonathan quick was the best goalie in the world he was absolutely phenomenal the kings do not win that stanley cup in 2012 without jonathan quick he only allowed two goals for it was something like 10 straight games, two goals or less. He was just dominant. Uh, But the mighty fall sometimes, especially these goaltenders, so you expect to play 65, 70 games a year, and uh, Father Time remains undefeated. Hey, Brock. And Dave, wasn't wasn't that the year that the L.A. was eighth? Yep. Yeah, that was the the year that they were eighth, and they just ran rough shop through the whole league and won the Stanley Cup, and nobody gave them a chance whatsoever and they said ah they're in but they're going to be out the first round i can't remember who their first round opponent was but 
they would have played the number one team back then and and they just kept going and going and and that brings the whole cliche into it hey once you're in the dance you never do know i i forget who they played through their 2012 run but i remember the 2014 run for the stanley cup uh so memorably because they came back from a three nothing deficit in the first round against san jose to win the series in seven they won the, the series against anaheim in seven and team Solani's last ever game for the anaheim ducks and then they proceeded to have one of the great all-time western conference finals against chicago blackhawks that went to seven games that they do not win that series without john than quick and nets uh, brock that that 2014 la kings team if i could ever make a sports documentary i would actually make it about that team yeah you know it's true and you know um they they were such a story and i think sometimes we do forget that exact thing that that you just said the importance of jonathan quick in those those years because people just kind of say what have you done for me lately that's the society we're in in regards to sports and it's not so much what have you done for me lately because look at what he did accomplish in LA and and it'd be interesting to see you know what happens with him in the future but I I do think that you know in the next year or two we're probably looking at seeing Jonathan Quick retire I would say but we'll see as time as time progresses but I think he's getting up there in age I don't have it off the top of my head what his age is but he's he's got to be getting up there at this point uh the the math on this is fairly simple if he was drafted in 2005 at 18 years old and it's currently 2023 he's 35 or 36 years Uh, old yeah which time uh, to play time to play beer league at that point <laughs> as uh, someone who's turning 40 this year i don't like the nature of this conversation uh, brock i'm, I'm gonna do a little switcheroo on you here all week you and i have been teasing that we're going to talk about player influence on team decisions we're going to push that again to tomorrow because i think that's a that's a more robust conversation we can have but i did promise yesterday that we would give a little bit of love to the toronto raptors who've won eight of their last 10 games and now they're in the process of not just chasing a play-in spot for the nba playoffs but an actual playoff spot with a big game against the washington wizards tonight Yes, uh, if you have sort of turned turned off the Toronto Raptors within the last, uh, you know, month or two, let's say, it, it's time to turn them yeah, back on. Yeah. Uh, because, and I, and I really believe, Dave, and correct me if, if you feel I'm wrong, but I really believe that the trade deadline sort of weighed on, on these players and they sort of said, well, we don't know what kind of team we're going to be moving forward. Now you have your team, you've got Jakob Pertl, that was your only trade deadline acquisition let's see what you are and now Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster have said we believe in you let's see what you are they have a real tough schedule ahead of them right now they're uh, with the remaining uh, games left they're the second hardest schedule I believe is what I read so we'll see you know and and good competition over the last 20 games as you're headed into either the play-in or a playoff spot is something you always want as an athlete but tune into the Toronto Raptors because they they beat the Chicago Bulls in what I would consider as a as a must win and they've got to do the same against the uh, Washington Wizards as well. Yeah, you and I were scratching our heads on trade deadline day, kind of saying, oh gosh, this team ended up being a buyer, not a seller. And Jakob Pertl, how does that really move the needle? And he really has. He's been phenomenal for them. Like, he clearly addressed a glaring need on the team. They needed a starting center and he stepped in and he's been amazing. Yeah, no, he absolutely has. And it's it's that whole middle, you know, big in the middle and it's like oh there he goes getting another rebound and he's above everybody else and, and that that was something that the raptors were really lacking they were they were getting outboarded game after game after game and it was 
it was hard to watch. And now it's like, yeah, now we're seeing a little bit of a difference. And I think that's the reason Jakob Pertl was brought in was to be that difference. And again, I'm not saying that they're a championship team. Let's not, you know, fool ourselves here. But they can get themselves into the conversation of getting into the play-in or playoffs. And you never do know. Brock, I promise you tomorrow we'll talk about player influence and team decisions. In fact, that's the only thing we'll talk about tomorrow, unless, you know, some more major trades break between now and then. Brock, have a great day, man. We'll talk to you later. You as well. Thanks so much. That's Brock Richardson. He's at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada, starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland today. It's mainly sunny, with snow expected in the afternoon. The high is minus 6, the wind chill makes it feel like minus 22. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance this morning. A snowfall warning is in effect for tonight, with heavy snow expected later on. The high is 1 degree today. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and clouds, with heavy snow starting in the afternoon as well. There's up to four centimeters falling throughout the day, but there is also that snowfall warning with more snow expected into the evening and overnight. The high is zero, feeling like minus 11. To Quebec City, Quebec, there's snow today with up to 10 centimeters falling, and it's a high of zero degrees, but feeling like minus 11. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain today. A high is 5 degrees, with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 6. Over to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with possible snow this morning, but then it's clearing up in the afternoon. The high is minus 2, and it's feeling like minus 11. To Brandon, Manitoba, where it's a mix of sun and clouds today. The high is minus 3, but with that wind chill makes it feel like minus 31. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds as well. There are also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 2, and the wind chill not as cool. It's feeling like minus 21. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy, but the clouds are clearing up in the morning. But there's very strong wind today with wind gusts up to 90 kilometers per hour. The high is 6 degrees, but the wind chill makes it feel like minus 12. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny this morning, turning into a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow later. The high is 30 degrees, but it's going to feel more like minus 13 with that wind chill. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, there's snow off and on today. The high is minus 8, and with that wind chill, it's more like minus 18. To Kelowna, BC, where there is snow this morning, and it's possible that there's more snow or rain in the afternoon. There's up to 2 centimeters set to fall, and there's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour today. The high is four degrees, but it feels like minus three with that wind chill. And finally, to Vancouver, BC, where there's periods of rain and snow off and on today. There's also a risk of thunderstorms later on the day, so be sure to watch out for that. And the high is seven degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. A couple times this week, the topic of education has come up for you. Well, applications are now open for the 2023 AMI Scholarship. Those applications are now open. You could receive a $5,000 bursary and a queen-size temper cloud mattress. I mean, come on, cash and a mattress? I can uh, think of some ways you can combine those things. For more information, you can visit ami.ca slash scholarship, 
ami.ca slash scholarship. Coming up next, Stephen Scott recaps this year's Mobile World Conference in Barcelona. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Mobile World Congress is taking place in Barcelona this week. Stephen Scott of Double Tap is here to recap some of the interesting developments. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Dave. How are you today? I'm doing well. Always fun to talk about cell phones, but so often you and I will talk about the newest phone from Samsung or Apple, occasionally Google, but typically we leave out the rest of the industry. So this event going on, how is it different than, say, some of these more branded showcases? You know, that is a perfect way to put it, Dave, because you're right. This is not about Samsung. It's not about other, uh, let's just say, uh, devices made uh, and using Android, uh, because of course they don't often show up at these uh, type of events. They often do their own events. Now, interestingly, Samsung did have a huge presence at the Mobile World Congress this year, over 88,000 people turning up and over two and a half thousand exhibits. So there's a lot going on. And, you know, a lot of the products that you see at MWC never really make it to production. They're often prototypes. They're often showing you the kind of technology that's coming, the kind of thing that the kind of ideas that people are working on. For example, Motorola working on a new riser device. Yes, we've had Razer before, the flip phone from Motorola, but they've also come up with this riser design, which is a phone which actually extends, it expands with a button on the side. It becomes from a you know a fairly pocket-sized device to something that actually extends out and becomes a much larger phone. So, you know, these kind of designs are coming out at MWC, and this is the kind of tech we tend to talk about. And it kind of starts a conversation, really, mm. about what is next in the mobile world. Stephen, so oftentimes you and I are talking about smart glasses. It's, 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 it's just mm. something that is on the radar for both of us. In fact, we just had a really interesting interview with one of the founders of Envision yesterday about their latest line of glasses. Folks should check that out on the podcast if they haven't already. But there was one that jumped out to you here. It's the Oppo Air Glass 2. So what sets this product apart? Well, often when we hear about smart glasses, we're often thinking about augmented reality. And we're thinking, or even virtual reality is, is, is the case. But in this case, it's augmented reality. Now, what that means is taking something that is not real, but actually putting it in front of you. So taking text or information or images or whatever it might be, and actually putting it in front of your eyes, even though it's not really there. And that's called augmented reality. Now, in this case with Oppo, what they've done is they have developed a pair of glasses that can include captioning directly onto the glass. So as you're, say, watching a movie or you're having a conversation with someone, the, the text from that, the captions, will appear on, on the little display, and you can you can see that in your field of vision. Now, of course, this also applies to translation tools as well. So you could have a conversation with someone in a foreign language, and you would see their responses, uh, they speak to you in their language, coming back to you in your chosen language. The applications here are limited to some degree, right? Because you can't do everything with them, and this mm -hmm. is about as far as they go. But it does show you how this kind of augmented reality could work in reality one day. And I think that's the bit that's interesting all of us because look, you and I have talked about 
all the wonderful designs and the wonderful things over the years that have come out, we often wonder what the practical applications would be. Communication is, of course, a big one. And how we will communicate in the future is going to be really interesting. And I think this is the kind of tech where it's showing practical ways that we can communicate with each other. I mean, I even think beyond that to someone who's deaf or someone who's hard of hearing who, you know, it's typically quite difficult for someone like me who's blind to have a conversation with someone who's deaf. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if they can read my lips and they can communicate back to me, that's great. But I often, if they're signing, for example, I can't understand them. Yeah. So if glasses were able to interpret that or my phone could interpret that through the camera and then display that result to me audibly or visually or whatever, that could be really interesting. Yeah, that, that, that speaks to the way in which this technology can blend together to serve multiple purposes. And Stephen, you yeah. identified the purpose really well there, saying let's display captioning right on the glass for someone who might require it. But beyond purpose, sometimes functionality and style matter just as much. So what do the developers have to say in regards to making these glasses comfortable and functional rather than just purposeful? Well, Oppo is a company that like to design cool and smart looking and stylish products. But of course, that's all dependent on the person who buys them, right? And that can often be the challenge. You know, what I've tended to find with all of these designs is they tend to come in one static design. Facebook did the same when they partnered with Ray-Ban for the Ray-Ban Stories glasses. Mm. You got that Ray-Ban style of glass. Some people really like that. Do but not like Ray-Ban glasses. Unless they well, want, unless now, they want to sponsor the show, you. they want to sponsor the show. I love, I love yeah. Ray Ben, but for now, uh, Maui Jim's the king. Holler at your boy. Hey, listen, if if someone wants to shovel money into my pocket, I will, I will say how wonderful. No, I wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but no, look seriously, you know, a Ray Ban, it, it's like everything, right? It's a fashion style, it's a choice, and it might not work for you. Now, if it doesn't work for you, then you don't want to buy that. Now, that means then you're not going to buy that product, and I think this is the challenge that these companies are having. And I think until we get designs, hardware designs, which work really well, and then the software works really well, that can be applied to other hardware designs. So for example, like the smartwatch market, a really good example is the smartwatch market. Not so much with Apple, of course, because they have that tied down and it's their own thing. But we have seen Android Wear be adopted by many different companies from the high-end brands like Michael Kors, to you know, lots of different brands like Citizen and others mm. who are using that technology in their design. So you can get the design you want and you get the same experience you would get whether you bought one device or the other. That's, I think, where we want to get to with smart glasses, but we're not there yet. Picking up on uh, people who might want to sponsor the show, I just want to uh, paraphrase Dave Chappelle, who once in a comedy special said, I've done commercials for Coke and Pepsi. So yeah, but uh, <laughs> frankly, I, 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 can't, I can't tell the difference. But uh, Pepsi paid me most recently, so Pepsi is better. Uh, by the way, we could cut out all the middlemen here, and Sunglasses <laughs> Hut could just straight up sponsor the show. That would work as well. Love Sunglasses Hut. Great company. Awesome service every time I go in. Uh, Steven, let's yeah, go to I'm another... Happy to help with this. I'm happy to help with this sponsorship. Uh, situation we've got going on here. This yeah, you know, it's a little brainstorming on the air. Uh, Stephen, let's go to another popular name here. You mentioned Motorola in some of your opening remarks. Mm. Nokia was also there. Everyone remembers Nokia. At some point, everybody had a Nokia phone. So they started yep. showing off an immersive voice feature. Why did this catch your attention? Well, Nokia, first off, have rebranded. Now, it's interesting, Nokia rebranding. Everyone made a big deal of the new style Nokia design logo, even though Nokia themselves, as a company, no longer sell phones. 
In fact, it's a company called HND Mobile that do this. HND Global, I should say, is the company that actually sells Nokia phones. It's a very confusing deal, <laughs> that, uh, the, the way it works these days. This is the, the world we now live in, I guess. But what's interesting is they have come up with this new design of the logo and with that, some new features. So they're developing this new feature called Immersive Voice. It's not out yet but it's something which will be coming to devices. And what we're thinking about here is spatial audio. Now, if you've heard of spatial audio before, it's where you might wear a pair of AirPods or similar type of design devices that give you what's called spatial audio. So that's sound that feels like it's floating around your head. And if you've ever had the experience of 360 degree audio, oh. where it feels like someone can be walking in front of you and then beside you and then at the back of you, it's incredible. It really is smart how people can use this technology uh, to, to really create some really immersive experiences. But let's imagine, and look, we've all been there. I'm sure you have too, Dave, more than once. You're sitting in a Teams meeting and you're just listening to all these voices coming at you. And, you know, it might be someone, you know, it might be four or five people in a room and they're all just talking at once from one central place, which is just between your ears. Wouldn't it be great if you could have that conversation with every single individual almost sitting in front of you, a table from left to right, mm. like it would be in real life? That's what immersive voice is. This is for phone calls. Initially, it is for one-to-one -one calls. So when you're wearing your earbuds, you have to wear earbuds for this to work that support spatial audio. What will happen is the person you're speaking to will sound like they're actually sitting in front of you. I mean, that, and, and actually, it's a very simple technology they're using to do this. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's grown over time, but it does work and it works really well because spatial audio works really well. Yeah. And they're harnessing the power of that spatial audio to be able to put someone sitting in front of you. But then, of course, if you had two people on the call, it would be that 10 and 2 position. You would have someone at 10 o'clock, someone at 2 o'clock, and you'd be able to have a conversation with each of them in turn. And it, it would make, I think, calls more interesting and certainly a bit more enjoyable since most of us, you know, especially in meetings, that's how we communicate these days. It's not in the office as much anymore. Uh, nothing better than a good online meeting through and through. But, Stephen, you know what's better? Hanging out with you for a couple minutes every Thursday. Thank you for this. Oh. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. Have a great day. That's Stephen Scott, one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find daily at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. Great program. Pipes into my office every single day, and it's always a pleasure to listen to. And you can also find the Double Tap team on air. Well, on Twitter, double tap on air, double tap on air on Twitter. Speaking of AMI audio programming, today, Thursday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on The Pulse, Druida Gupta will chat with Lisa Amison, founder and chair of the Ashe Community Foundation for Black Canadians with Disabilities. We spoke to Lisa a couple of weeks ago here on the show. That's The Pulse Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI audio. Coming up next, Alex Smythe asks the roundtable their opinions on gene therapy. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Lots of talk on the show today about genetics and DNA. It's almost like a biology class over here. We're going to call biology with Dave Brown on a Thursday edition of the show. Of course, the Daily Poll at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook is would you 
ever submit your DNA to an online service? Yes, no, or I already have. Explored that with Alex earlier in the show. Talked to Jenny Bovard about that in the first hour as well. Well, Alex, you've got something else here for the roundtable for myself, Ramya, and Nazreen. Not about necessarily giving our DNA to somebody, but about gene therapy. Yeah, Dave. So uh, it was just announced uh, yesterday or, the, or late the day before that Luxterna, which is a gene therapy treatment uh, targeting the RPE65 gene, which is uh, targeting for uh, Liebers and, and some forms of retinitis pigmentosa, was just approved for coverage. So it, it would uh, the treatment would be covered in Ontario. So it, it got me thinking, we're going to explore it a bit more next week, but it got me thinking about gene therapies. And as we're going to start to see more and more of these types of treatments not only made available, but also covered by our OHIP uh, plans in Ontario. Like, would anyone kind of feel up to or willing to to try out a gene therapy? So I want to kind of uh, open it up to the round table and find out what everyone's thoughts are on gene therapies and if you would try it. So Ramya, why don't we start with you today? How do you feel about gene therapies? Okay, well, I actually have had the experience of taking part in a clinical trial. Uh, it was when I was a teenager, and it wasn't for Luxterna, but it was for similar gene therapy um, for the exact same mutation. The RP65 mutation is what I have and in a form of Liebers. And so this uh, kind of um, news about Luxterna and the journey, actually, of Luxterna and all the steps that was taken to get here uh, has personally been of interest to me because I can actually answer this question, whether or not I'm going to take part in this gene therapy. Um, I'm kind of a fence sitter, though. I, I have had the opportunity, like I said, to try the gene therapy in clinical trial stages. But now that it's uh, come this far uh, at this stage in my life, so over 15 years later, I am wondering whether I would take part in it at the moment. Ramya, if you don't find this to be too invasive a question, mm -hmm. why do you currently find yourself on the fence? Just because I, I know that there has been so much research, right? And so many people, uh, different parts of the population and researchers have put in their time, their life's journey even, uh, to dedicate themselves to finding research around this but for me it's an so as a bigger picture i can understand how incredible this is but as an individual i find that it's still um quite new and quite invasive like it's it's you know injection there are still questions about long-term effects there's basically still a lot of unanswered questions so mm -hmm. you're risking a lot going into it at this stage nazreen what about you where where are you standing and feeling about gene therapies as a concept at first, when I looked into gene therapy, I was uh, I was kind of for it. Just the idea of improving my body's ability to fight disease just sounds pretty nice, honestly. Uh, however, I just kind of looked into it more and more, and and thinking about it, I don't want the risk of you know altering, modifying cells. That just scares me when somebody says, "Oh, we're just uh, altering and modifying our cells to kind of improve." Um, your uh body to fighting disease so i was on i was on the fence too and i i think i'm backing out slowly 
Does it feel like it's too new? Is that where you're feeling? Because yeah. cer like certainly gene therapy is not is not like cutting edge, brand new, but it is mm -hmm. quite new as a concept. Yeah. Uh, so do you feel like it's perhaps just still too new for you to take the dive in? Is that is that what's holding you back? Do you want to see more case studies, more long term research? Yes, absolutely. I want to see more results to it because I've never heard of it. This is my first time hearing about it. So for me, this sounds pretty new. Uh, Alex, uh, one of the things that I think perhaps makes me a little different on this panel than everybody else is my eye condition is not degenerative. I was born with about 9% vision. I continue to have about 9% vision as a level of capacity. And I'm content with it. I don't love it, but I've accepted my reality. So for me, anytime people ask me about, well, they like to use the word cure, and I try to encourage them that cure is maybe not the best word, mm -hmm. but anytime people try to talk to me about treatments and they say, oh, would you engage in this? Would you engage in that? I always say there's a critical threshold for me. If I'm going to take any kind of risk of going through a major procedure or therapy, I need to know that I'm going to get substantive results. I'm not looking to go from 9% vision to like 14% vision when now I no longer qualify as legally blind, but I also still can't see any good and still can't drive. So for me, I would say like, you need to make my vision good enough that I can drive, that it's going to fundamentally change how I live my life for me to do it. So I'm not so much worried about outcomes or research. I'm sorry, it was so much about research or procedures or protocols. What I'm concerned about is legitimate, purposeful outcomes. That's how yeah. I would measure this for me to jump in. Alex, as I do almost every day, you pose the question, what are yeah. your actual thoughts? Yeah, so, you know, I've gene therapies have been something I've been following for a long time. It's always been of interest to me, you know, having a genetic disorder that's caused my vision and hearing loss has always played a part in that as well as to kind of do my own uh, journey of identifying and what is the causes of my my vision loss and stuff. And I, I've been following Luxterna specifically for a couple of years through with AMI and seeing the steps and it's it's very promising. I I agree there, there's a bit of hesitation there just based on the, the unknowns because, you know, you are injecting information into your genes. You're, you're trying to inform them on how to produce, you know, non-mutated uh, uh, forms of, of the genes that are, are causing the vision loss in, in Luxterna's case. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't, you know, if this was a couple of years ago, I, I would probably be a bit more leery of it. But you know, we have just gone through an entire pandemic. We've had MRI vaccines mm -hmm. that have shown remarkable results of being very targeted, being very effective, having very low uh, side effects or, or risk factors associated with them. I view this in a similar light. We are, we are taking the modern science of the day to tackle complex issues and complex problems. In terms of gene therapies, I'm all for it. Now, when we start to get into the, some of these other problems where we're talking about gene editing or re, like other forms of replacements, that's where I'm still on the fence about that. But in the case of like a Luxterna, I think I would be open to it. I, I would just want to know the risk. Okay, if I take this, what's the chance of more increased vision loss opposed to vision gain? Because with any surgery, any procedure, there is risks associated. So. Yeah. Would it be that, you know, if something goes wrong, I could lose all my vision? 
you know, those those are, are risk factors yeah. you have to weigh whenever you're doing any type of medical procedure. Okay, Alex mentioned gene editing. That's probably a broader conversation for a different day, but let's wrap this up on a fun note. If you could do some gene editing to change something about yourself that's non-medical, <laughs> what would you do? My answer is if I could smell like the United Colors of Be uh, uh, Benetton every day, like even when I was sweaty or unshowered, that'd be good for me. So yeah. I wish I could change my genes to smell real good. Alex, what about you? Oh, geez, Dave. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Yeah, probably something like super vain, like, oh, just increase muscle definition yeah. or something like that. Mm. Get the results without having to put the work in at the gym. Yeah, I'm all for yeah, that. Six-pack abs. Ramya, what about you? Uh, I mean, I'm brown. I have to say hair, right? Like, let's just get rid of hair. <laughs> my whole, you know, all my peoples can agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nisreen, what about you? I'd say burn fat quickly. I don't know if that's like, you know, yeah. if that would help. Yeah, I feel like that would that would be awesome. I like the abs part. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. If I can smell good and have six-pack abs, my life would be radically different. That's even better than being able to drive. Uh, Alex, Nisreen, thank you for this. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ramya, what people don't know is that you and I share an office in the early part of the afternoon before you hit the airwaves as the co-host of Kelly and Ramya. And we had a very funny moment yesterday where you and I were both in meetings. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize you were in a meeting because you were talking so low like this. And on the other side, I was booming. <laughs> and then I finished my meeting and I hear you continuing your meeting. Ramya, you're such a polite, easygoing office mate. And I'm so rude. Honestly, it's because I was eating and I really didn't want you to hear me eating with my mouth full and talking to somebody on the phone. Disrespect. Not how my mother raised me. Okay, I feel you and I appreciate it. Rumya, yeah. what's coming up on Kelly and Rumya today at 2 p.m. Eastern time? Okay, we're talking NHL trade deadline, 24 hours away, mm -hmm. and everybody's waiting. Uh, so we're going to talk more about it with Nick Alberga. Uh, he's going to talk about some of his deals and predictions. Also, our food convo with Mary Mamaliti falls on Thursdays, and we have what's trending in food and drink today, uh, social media specifically. So you know TikTok's going to come up. Also, we have our weekly roundtable conversation, and in the no contributor, Margaret Weldon is going to be sitting in with us today. You know what's trending in food and drink, Ramia? Ice cream in the winter. I, I've always been on that trend. Yeah, it's a good I trend. I somehow want ice cream in the winter potentially more than in the summer. I don't know why. Ahead of the, well, it doesn't, it doesn't melt as fast in the winter when you're eating okay, it outside. I guess so. You see? Boom, yeah. boom. Uh, Ramia, yeah. thank you for this. Have a great show. Thank you, Dave. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Ramya, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI. Coming up next, Don Dickinson previews McLean's magazine with an article about J.J. Levine's photography series, Queer Portraits. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. This week's episode of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio features a piece about a Kelowna social worker who swindled his clients and stole hundreds of thousands of dollars. Here to share more of the story is the content curator of McLean's Magazine, Don Dickinson. Hey, good morning, Don. Hi, Dave. I just want to warn you, I may look a little chipmunky because I had a tooth extracted yesterday. Oh, so. gosh. How are you feeling, Don? Oh, OK. 
okay, codeine, darling. <laughs> ah, yes, the, the powerful, powerful species. Uh, Don, this article is called The Grifter Guardian and looks at the story of fraudster Robert Riley Saunders. Who was this Robert Riley Saunders? Uh, yeah, this is an amazing story. You can't believe that this kind of thing goes on still. Saunders was born in Winnipeg in 1970, the child of parents who struggled with alcohol addiction, and they separated when he was in his mid-teens. He enrolled at the University of Manitoba and took some general arts courses, but never graduated. In 1995, he started working in Winnipeg as a rehabilitation counselor. You think to yourself when you hear that, how did that happen? Mm. Well, it turns out... He didn't have any sort of real uh, background in this or degree, but he was very charming, very good looking, as you can see from the picture there. And a year later, he applied for a job as a social worker. Uh, when he didn't have the proper credentials, with the help of his girlfriend, he forged a diploma from the University of Manitoba, Manitoba claimed he had a bachelor's degree in social work. He was told that he would have to provide a, certif a certified copy of his degree, but no one followed up. So he got hired. It was just basically a slip-up. Mm. So you mentioned that he is a pretty handsome guy. We're showing a, couple, showing a couple pictures on screen right now. Very square jawline. Very, very <laughs> square jawline. You know the man does his sit-ups. Uh, Don, so obviously the position of power is clear, but then what did he do to manipulate the system to access these funds that were earmarked for kids in his care? Yeah, because you wonder, you know, there must be checks and balances, right? Right, but of in course. 20, yeah, exactly. But in 2011, Saunders and his wife divorced, and he needed immediate money. He saw how, despite the frequent reviews and requirements for paperwork and approvals, staff at the Ministry of Children and Family Development didn't pay close attention to the checks issued for the kids in his care. Saunders realized he could open joint bank accounts with his charges, take advantage of their lack of financial experience, because you got to remember, Dave, these kids are just like, you know, they've had no real education oh, yeah, as to they're, take they're, care they're of themselves. Vulnerable. They're, and... they're vulnerable. They're super vulnerable. Tremendously so, yeah. Um, so basically what he did was he diverted uh, monies into his own bank account. He could steal from kids living in foster care where the foster parents were, uh, were expecting checks from the ministry. And he had to be careful not to target kids who were in fact living independently and paying rent as they would have they would have to have the funds so he was really careful about which kids he took advantage of as they say if there were if there were guardians involved or or somebody that was supervising or somebody that was actually looking out for the kid then he wouldn't target those kids because he'd know that he'd have problems so he was really looking for ones that were really vulnerable which makes this crime even worse yeah. how was he eventually found out well, it was just a matter of coincidence and fate. In December of 2017, Saunders' usual supervisor, Siobhan Steins, was on vacation. And a social worker who was very hands-on named Andrea Courtney, she's the real uh, hero in this story, was filling in as the team leader. Saunders was usually able to both request and approve checks for children in his care himself, but some payments still required a supervisor's signature. In this one particular case, Courtney's inbox had 10 forms from Saunders waiting for approval, and one of the kids' names she recognized. 
she knew that this particular kid was in youth custody and therefore not entitled to independent living funds. Mm. She called Saunders to ask why he was issuing checks to an individual who didn't need the funds. And of course, he was just completely flustered. He'd never been questioned before. Uh, He told her that he was actually giving the checks to her mother, uh, to the child's mother. But when Courtney followed through and called her and asked about this, the mother, of course, denied that she was receiving any financial aid at all. So then this woman knew and she pursued it. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don, let's switch gears here. There's only about a minute and 30 seconds here. Okay. But you wanted to make mention of an article about a Montreal photographer named J.J. Levine and his Queer Portrait series. So instead of going through J.J.'s full biography, why was this series so important to J.J. as an artist? Well, he was. He grew up in a very... Um, uh, what you would call unique, although you know when you think about it, most most people are growing up in unique circumstances these mm-hmm. days. You know, very few of us have the traditional white bread, you know, sort of uh, uh, background with mom and dad and 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 you know, two and a half, two point five kids and all the rest of it, right? Um, so he he started in photography when he was very young his mom had bought him a camera and basically how it started was he just started taking portraits of his uh family uh he had uh, siblings who were unconventional uh really unconventional and uh when he came of age, uh, he decided that he wanted to do a little more of this, expand his, you know, expand his universe there. And he started taking pictures of his friends and whatnot. And so basically it came about because of a very personal, a personal uh, hobby. So what's he trying to capture in these portraits? And Dom, we've only got about a minute here. Okay, well, really what he's trying to say is that there's nothing like uh, what you would call a traditional family he's he's trying to communicate to people that there there's all kinds of domesticity there's queer domesticity and trans domesticity and and people who have uh you know uh, children out of wedlock and people who are you know gay and have two mommies and all the rest of it and so when he started this it became um you know very popular and it's be, he's been exhibited in various uh, venues and whatnot and it's it's gained a lot of uh, attention you know and he's aware obviously that his portraits can be seen as political to some degree but he 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 says quite honestly that he he really didn't do it in in that sense it wasn't a political statement by any means he was just personally trying to communicate his family Mm. hey don thank you for this always interesting to hear about uh, what's coming up on mclean's magazine you're very welcome, Dave. That's Don Dickinson, curator, content curator of McLean's Magazine, which you can find Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You can find this show here again tomorrow morning when the news panel kicks off. Megan Gilmore, Judah Gupta, and myself getting together for, I think it's our first uh, trifecta as a new pa- news panel together. So that'll be fun. Me, Megan, and Joita hanging loose. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on AMI-tv. Oh, you know what else is happening tomorrow? Michael McNeely stopping by with a review of the movie Cocaine Bear. Oh, I'm excited. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv.
I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.